0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: It's time for the opening, <laughs> the, the opening drive.
2: guess we have to start it before we finish it. But Dan, a couple things I wanted to get to before we get deeper into the QB1 breakdown and some other things. Yeah. Um, the first would be, Let's get to the bottom or at least try to get a further explanation. We talked about this on the Mullen Haw show, and I certainly think it merits further discussion. Dante Pettis was deemed a player that passed concussion protocol during the game, and I guess theoretically could have gone back into the game. And I want you to clear up some of the details because you heard from Matt Eberflues today. He was apparently able to play but then went to the hospital and flew back on a different flight than the team because he was seeing he had blurred vision so how does a player yeah a concussion protocol able to play but hey don't drive home you can go and play football but i wouldn't trust you behind the wheel
0: well well, okay. well let's just be honest and, and and be forward in one aspect in that he wasn't cleared to go back in the game. He cleared concussion protocol, so they determined that he wasn't concussed. But no one said, hey, you've got the green light to go back on the football field and play. Matt Eberflew said after the game that the blurred vision is what sent Dante to the hospital for further evaluation. He was able to get checked out there and given the green light to get on a plane, separate from the the, the plane that the Bears took home from Detroit, and fly home on Sunday night. And he's going to be uh, evaluated further. He's just not in the concussion protocol. Now, the question is certainly relevant on how do you suffer a head injury that causes blurred vision and then not be in the protocol for further evaluation. I do think that there is a victory here in that they didn't, have him clear the concussion protocol and say, go back in. You know, they did send him for further testing. He did leave the stadium and go to a hospital. And so in some regards, you're happy that those safety nets are in place and still working properly and that Dante Pettis didn't put himself at further risk. We'll see what happens throughout this week. And we'll maybe get a chance to talk to Dante as early as Wednesday to get sort of his his sentiments on where he's at.
2: There's no doubt that that is, is the good news. No question about it. And, I, and that's why I, I want some clarity because I don't want to exaggerate because I do believe that there is a little bit of confusion there. I don't know if it's just me, but we heard from people this morning. There's a a slight distinction that needs to be drawn here, or at least if we can clear it up, let's do this, because clearing concussion protocol and being clear to return the game, what is the difference there, Dan?
0: Well, somebody has to tell you to go back in and – play from a football you know, perspective. So one, one is made by an ind-
2: independent evaluator, correct? Somebody who, who clears him from concussion protocol. Well, and
0: you had, oh, yeah, and You have your team medical staff involved in that as okay. well. Um, and, and so then at that point, you just have to, to kind of make a decision and, and the goal obviously league wide is to err on the side of caution whenever possible. The Tua Tungabailoa situation yes. throughout the entirety of 2022 is something that hopefully will bring heightened caution to every situation like this. Again, this is concerning because in november in atlanta jaquan brisker was evaluated twice for a concussion went back in and played both times and then got back on monday and was put in the concussion protocol because his symptoms got worse and he ended up missing a couple of games because of that including with a bye week in there so he's out for an extended period of time there with a concussion that he was playing with right that he suffered on two different occasions in that game and so it's not airtight. The the, the the protocols and the procedures are not airtight and, and it's this ongoing process that has improved immensely during my time in the league but still has a long way to go to be perfect in trying to make sure that, that the, the, the culture of the sport doesn't cloud over and and supersede the long term uh interest and, and I guess the, the looking out for the players, you know, and making sure that someone is looking out for them, even in situations where they're not looking out for themselves.
2: There's got to be a policy and infrastructure that protects the players from themselves. I think that's almost as big a part of it as protecting the players from the teams who may want to play them. It's almost like this has evolved to the point where players, they do have that awareness. There's going to be that instinct to just, okay, not, could not report uh, some symptoms or want to play through that kind of thing. But I guess we're getting better. It was just yesterday, Sunday at Ford field. It was a little confusing to hear Matt Eberflus say what he said post game because yeah. it does seem very incompatible how somebody could be cleared from concussion protocol and yet have the symptoms post game that would require him to go to the hospital. That's
0: yeah. And and it was probably clumsy messaging, but it's forgivable from a head coach in that standpoint, you're coming off a 31 point loss. You've got 48 other things that you're worrying about in game. You're just trying to, in those moments, you know, less than probably 40 minutes after the game, try to get your arms around everything that you've got to talk to the media about. And and he probably didn't uh, articulate that as eloquently as he would have liked. But um, you know, again, like it'll be interesting if we get the opportunity to talk to Dante this week, just to get, kind of his experience, you know, and and hear him talk about it. He's been one of the better guys in the locker room at being pretty candid and and pretty welcoming uh, to questions. And so maybe we will have a chance later in the week to to clear this up a little bit.
2: As an extension of that conversation and topic, I have to ask this because Justin Fields did look like he took – He some abuse, some punishment, some hard hits, and one of them looked like he got hit on the head pretty hard. When Matt Eberflus opened the door by saying he needed to be fully healthy, was there any concern about the fact that he might have – Yeah, suffered some sort of head injury or he might be entering protocol. Has there been any discussion about that?
0: No, that wasn't expressed. That was not asked. That was not uh, insinuated. None of that in regards to that you saw early in the game when Justin Fields broke up, broke off that long 60 yard run, he got up and he was kind of hobbling a little bit after that. And he didn't run the same way the rest of the afternoon. Um, We've seen him in multiple games this year, need to get up on a table and and get worked on with massage guns and, and people helping him get stretched out. Uh, tough guy for sure. He's, he's, you know, <laughs> endured a lot physically this year, certainly a lot emotionally and mentally as well. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see where this goes in week 18. It is a, a footnote that he did not play in week 18 last year in Minnesota. That was uh, COVID related back in those days. Um, and so this is just another, uh, another wrinkle in the, in the road here.
2: Got to ask this. And I know, uh, we talked about this a little bit on, on the radio on Monday morning you sometimes wonder what Justin Fields is thinking because he he does keep things pretty close to the vest. And when he's open up, he's transparent and that's always refreshing and nice to see, but you seldom kind of wonder or have to be guessing what he's feeling because you do see him getting stretched out. You do see him, you know, uh, making, you know, when he's going through pain, he's grimacing, he's open about, how he's enduring this pain related to an injury or related to a hit in any way. I, is that indicative of, of anything, Dan, because uh, he, he could have had many things go wrong yesterday. He could be playing through a lot of pain that we're not aware of, or look like yesterday when he's getting stretched out, like, Oh my gosh, he grabs his leg and think what's, what's wrong with him. Is this just because we have heightened awareness of everything that happens to Justin Fields or, is he just somebody is going to, when he has something wrong with him, you're going to know it. Yeah, no,
0: I, I don't, I wouldn't go there. I don't, I don't sense that at this point. I think that obviously he's a unique player in the things that he's asked to do at that position. And so when you take on that kind of toll and that kind of strain, things add up a little bit quicker than they do on guys that, that aren't running around as much, that aren't taking as many hits that aren't subjecting themselves to the punishment that Justin Fields takes. I think it was interesting on Monday to hear Matt Eberflus say that one of the things that they continue to harp on is, uh, look, I, we understand that you're you're pretty dangerous as a tuck and run scrambler. And obviously, the 60 yarder on Sunday is another example of that. But there are times in a game where you've just got to get that ball out of your hands and throw it to somebody that's paid to catch the football and run with it. Running back, check down receiver, tight end, whatever it may be, and take some of the toll off of that. We talk all the time. This is all cumulative. All of this is cumulative. And so you have to be aware of that in the long-term perspective that you have for your quarterback in your franchise, uh, they're, they're working with him on, on trying to become better in those regards at, at not relying so heavily on, on that, that tuck and run scrambling ability while at the same time, not trying to take that gift away from him because it's what's injected so much hope and excitement and, and entertainment into this 2022 season in so many ways.
2: That's true. Just sometimes he looked like he's 23 going on 55. <laughs> it's just, he's just like, Oh man, you know, I can relate to that pain in your back or in your calf or whatever but you know you're the quarterback of the Bears you shouldn't be grimacing when you bend over but I think he's also subjected well, to a lot more punishment
0: as someone who's 46 going on 82 like I, I, I get it so maybe yeah. I just empathize a little more and I, and I can see it from it, from his eyes
2: alright so what else uh, did you hear at Halis Hall post uh, the day after the debacle in in Detroit a lot of D's there but yeah. um, Valus Jones had some stuff to say did Matt flew say anything else worth noting
0: Yeah, we got to talk to Valus Jones and Jaquan Brisker on Monday afternoon. Obviously, Valus Jones, uh, the big kick return at the end of the first half. He also had a 13-yard end around, which is a pretty nice run. It's something you'd like to see more of uh, getting him folded into the offense. He didn't play much at all offensively. I don't think he played a a single snap in the second half on offense, and that's – troublesome for all the reasons we've talked about for, for months. Uh, but the kick return was a big deal. And it wasn't the first big explosive kick return that Bayless Jones has had here in the last month and a half. And to see him kind of finding his footing as a kick returner is encouraging. Now, David, there were eight kickoffs that the Lions had yesterday because they kept scoring. And I kept getting to hear that that dude with the deep voice who gets in the end zone every time they score a touchdown. Forward down the field. You, know, you know the song that gets stuck in your head by the time you leave Ford Field. And Bayless Jones was only given the green light to bring one of those out they have certain rules obviously the one at the end of the half you say we're not really concerned with field position here try to break a big play and he does and he takes it across midfields and gives you a chance to squeeze points out of it we had a chance to ask Bayless about that sequence uh, here's some of what he had to say on monday afternoon You had a full green light on that kickoff right before halftime can you just walk us through kind of just the entirety of that and how it opened up for you the way it did
1: um, yeah, um, you know, uh, we got the green light, you know, by um, HT, so, you know, we're taking it out regardless, so I knew they was going to try to kick it out, I'm just glad they didn't kick it out the back of the end zone. Um. As you see, it was like a right return, but, you know, my um, teammates, they made some incredible blocks um the open up lanes for me so that's definitely not possible without them everybody was on somebody they were knocking people down it was really like a, a yellow brick road you know i was just you know just, you know skipping down the lanes um really wanted that one you know um but you know at the end of the day you know special teams you know it's all about you know helping the offense and defense and put them in a great position
0: there a moment there where you thought it was going the whole way Oh,
1: oh yeah, most definitely. Um, felt like I could have pressed the kicker more, pressed the kicker more. I knew I was going to get around him. Um, but I know a guy came off the back end, but I didn't see him. You know, I was trying to keep my balance to stay in bounds. And when I looked up, he was sitting right there. So it's like
0: I ran out of options right there. Couldn't really break down because I was by the sideline. He played five of 52 offensive snaps. Sunday afternoon, David, and that's an example of a a guy who's just not earned enough trust to fold in. And it's crazy because this has been a a season in which the the window of opportunity for someone in the receiving core to come in and carve out a role has been wide open and he hasn't been able to do so. Again, his only uh, offensive touch was on a a jet sweep, something where you just give him the ball and you don't have have to have him go out and run a route or catch a ball. (laughs) So that's where they see him right now in this offense. Yeah. If he's
2: going to be a part of this this process, the winning formula, if he's going to be part of any team that's any good in Chicago, he's going to have to be a weapon in the return game. And I think that he's going to have to evolve as a weapon in the offense. I don't know how much to trust him. I think we're getting to the last game of the season that still remains a a question mark. I don't understand how the bears decide to play their wide receivers though. Of all the things in this offense that uh, baffle me, uh, the how they disperse snaps to wide receivers is is on the list. I don't know how high, but it's on the list. Whether it's Chase Claypool getting 19 snaps or Velus Jones and his mysterious usage in and out, I, I don't know how they determine that, and I don't know if it's because and maybe I don't even know if it matters because there's nobody that really that's standing out so far uh, since since Mooney went down. But but I do find it curious. On a weekly basis, that we get to the end of games, and you look at the play sheet and you're like, whoa, wow. Right. 15 snaps. I don't understand that. And I wish maybe this week Luke Getsy could be pressed on that because I'd like to know more about how they come to those uh,
0: conclusions. Byron Pringle played 32. Uh, Or I'm sorry, 39 of 52 snaps on Sunday. Uh, Equinemius St. Brown was 32 of 52. Claypool was 19 of 52. Pettis 14. And then as we mentioned, Bayless Jones five. Um, Look, that's a receiving core that did nothing in that game and has done nothing all season it's jarring and this is one of the biggest needs this team has the problem is it's one of five biggest needs they have because they also need an offensive line and a front seven <laughs> so, so good luck getting getting all the bodies you need to to turn this team into a competitive football team again um i'm just you know we, we I, I don't want to get down the same road we've gone down a hundred times before but i'm just going to continue to beat the drum of this idea that um Losing 14 games with with one of the worst rosters in football, which is almost unanimously decided upon, uh, suddenly positions you to, to to do big, great things. They have way too many needs to fill uh, to feel good about the direction of where things are right now.
2: I think that was the overwhelming message, loud and clear, that was delivered on Sunday, because regardless of how excited you might be about the quarterback in Chicago, there's so many more holes that are needed to be filled in this off season to make you think that you're more than just one off season away from respectability. I, 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 That's just, uh, boy, that's going to be an off-season topic of conversation. But, Dan, as we have been talking here, the NFL made it official. The Bears will play at noon on the lakefront to finish up this season. And the sooner the better. So, (laughs) Bears Vikings Sunday, uh, Soldier Field at noon as – most people expected this is not a game that you want to put in prime time if they can play it tomorrow at noon i would think people would welcome it just to get it over with.
0: how many games are on the noon slate do you have that in front of you or we got I to wait have that okay all right
2: no i do not have that in front of me because uh, uh i'm just relieved that the bears are going to be playing um at noon just as we all wanted hey there's studs so maybe he
0: can <laughs> hey help. guys yeah i jumped in so if you want to know the full noon slate It's going to be Buccaneers and Falcons, Texans and Colts, Pats and Bills, Jets and Dolphins, Bears and Vikings, Panthers and Saints, Browns and Steelers, Ravens and Bengals. And then the night game is going to be Lions and Packers winner of that game. that's a playoff. Slot. You know what? That excites me to no end because that means I can get home, settled on my, my couch, crack a cold one and watch one of the games on, on the week 18 schedule that I'm most excited about. You talk about two teams that found themselves in the late season uh, surges here. That's going to be a fun, entertaining divisional clash with a lot at stake potentially. Uh, really, 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 really looking forward to that one.
2: This is not take the North for the Lions or take the, I guess it's a, it's a North podcast. Take the North podcast. So we can ask lions questions, but okay. So the lions Packers for all the marbles Sunday night, but what if the Seahawks win? Does that eliminate the lions or yeah, it does? So there won't be that as much drama. Well, the Packers would still need it to get in.
0: Okay. But the Lions would, yeah, the Lions would not be uh, in a That's position why surprised to qualify. I'm putting that
2: Sunday night because there is a possibility that the Lions will
0: have nothing to gain by winning. I think Jaguars, Titans is the other game with with uh, obviously Saturday. divisional championship. Yeah, that one's on Saturday evening, so so that, that doesn't give you the, the opportunity. And, and studs went through that whole noon slate. Um, it's going to be interesting. So I guess we're, we're we're rooting for a Seahawks loss for for maximum theater, right?
2: Maximum theater is what we want. We like maximum. theater. I agree. Like yeah, definitely. All right, Dan. So before we get into our QB one segment, I want to segue there by. Asking you about a quote from Ryan Pohl's pregame yeah. on Sunday in WBBM, you tweeted it out this morning. I talked about it on the radio because it stood out to me. And I do think it's interesting, even though I don't know if saying it out loud without uh, necessarily, it, well, I'll just read it because of the context it says, quote, talking about Justin Fields here as a passer, quote, he's shown ability to make a ton of plays with his legs. No one questions his playmaking ability, but really growing as a passer is going to be the next step. That's the the general manager talking about his quarterback, and that sounds like a very honest assessment of Justin Fields, the passer. Do you think that people should be surprised by that at all based on its uh, relative objectivity?
0: I think people were surprised by it. Should they be? I don't think so. Um, Because I think this is a talent evaluator with some big decisions ahead of him trying to figure out what exactly he has in place with every single player he currently has on his roster, including the most important one, which is the guy who wears the number one jersey. I think right now, more intriguing than a week 18 game at noon at soldier field against the Vikings is the next time that we get to talk to Ryan Poles, which conceivably will be in week 19 here up in Lake forest to get his full assessment of the quarterback and what he saw from him. Again, the last time we really talked to him about Justin Fields was before the Monday night game in new England back in October. And, and, and the story has changed multiple times since that, since that night. And it's just really, really compelling stuff to hear from the general manager so that we can have a better gauge on how he's going to approach this offseason and what he's looking for uh, and I think it's 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 staring you in the face that that Justin fields as a passer is unaccomplished and now he has to make the the strides to go forward to become something as a passer to become the franchise quarterback that everyone believes he can become and is dreaming he will become um, but yeah I, you know you brought that quote to my attention in the post game podcast on Sunday evening and then was able to listen to it and and read it back and i i I think it's notable do you
2: think that it implies at all that ryan poles doesn't fully believe that justin fields is the quarterback to build around
0: i don't know i really don't know you know and i think that's why we need to kind of have a a a string of of people in the media room when ryan poll speaks next i think there needs to be a calculated approach to trying to learn as much as we can to answer that question with more information even even if it's even if it's reading body language sometimes right absolutely, like,
2: absolutely. That, that those things are valuable that way because of that and i also think that it's in the context of what we just saw we're all football fans we watched the bowl games we saw bryce young and cj Stroud have big moments on large stages you can't deny that and you can't ignore that so I don't think, and I'm on the record as saying that I don't think either one of those guys would be a a quarterback that I would be comfortable necessarily building around, but we all know how the draft works. And you know that both those guys playing well, number one helps the team in the top five because it puts a premium on those draft picks. But number two, I guess I do wonder. What Ryan Pohl sees when he evaluates a quarterback, is he looking for somebody like Justin Fields who is – he's an unorthodox star. He he would be uh, the the Lamar Jackson mold of NFL quarterback as opposed to somebody in the more traditional sense, the Patrick Mahomes type, if you will. There's nothing traditional about Patrick Mahomes necessarily except for that he is a downfield passer who gets it done and is an MVP caliber talent.
0: I think that Justin's a totally different player than Lamar Jackson. And I think those comparisons have been made for obvious reasons all year, but are probably not on parallel tracks because I think Justin has more arm talent. I think he has, uh, he's more polished with the way he throws the football. The problem with Justin sometimes is not really understanding what quarterback at the NFL level is about, which is quick, efficient decisions, you know, be decisive, get the ball out of your hands, live to see the next play and when big play shots are there, take your shots and, and capitalize them more than more often than, than you don't. He's got a long way to go in that department. But I do think that, that y- you, if you could squeeze the maximum amount of potential out of him as a passer, he's got a, a ceiling. That's that's three floors above what Lamar Jackson would be as a passer. And now it's just, it's just up to the bears to see where they go with this. And Ryan Poles is, 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 is about that. They, I mean, like if you are a general manager and you at some point in your tenure, want to take your big swing at a quarterback, um, you know, you have to, to figure out what it is you want and when it is that you want to take that swing. It's not an easy decision to make. Ryan Poles is going to have to at least shed some light on that. And and given what you and I have experienced and what the city's experienced through the, the entirety of 2022 with Justin Fields, um, anything less than a full vote of confidence that he's our franchise quarterback and the guy we're going to build around is going to, going not only cause waves, but there's going to be a tsunami in, in, in Chicago. If he makes that statement.
2: I don't think he can make that statement. That's the word, that's where I'm coming from. I yeah. don't think that he can afford to waver at this point of his tenure. Nobody has a lifetime contra- contract, and it doesn't matter if he's in his second season. If he doesn't fully commit to Justin Fields, I don't know what he's doing. Because maybe he feels backed into a corner, but I just don't know how you come out of this season concluding that anything other than Justin Fields is the quarterback that you need to build around, even though he may not be your ideal prototype he is the one you're going, you're not stuck with him. Nobody's stuck with somebody that good or talented, but I do think that this is, if you want to call it an arranged marriage, make it work.
0: Well, certainly, I mean, because you weren't forced into taking this job, right? I mean, you knew what was in place when you took the job, and you certainly would like to see this through with a guy who has shown this much promise and this much potential and this much leadership, right? Like, I think one of the things that's been truly the most impressive about Justin Fields' season is the way he's handled everything that he's dealt with the, the, dude is, is a, a, an absolute, uh, DNA guy in terms of what you want in your locker room as a leader, what you want as a worker, what you want as a unifier, what you want as, you know, a guy that, that can be the engine of everything you're trying to build. Um, so again, like it, it, it's too early to get out on, on speculative, uh, side roads here, uh, you know, within 10 to 12 days, we should have the, the general manager himself sitting in front of us at a podium and we'll have more to unpack when he does, when he does talk.